0: welcome to the ja show i'm so excited i'm so excited we have a special guest today and i've been working with this incredible lady on a podcast that we are working together that means so much to us and it's called decide your meaning and you know today we are also going to talk about stories we're going to talk about language we're going to talk about communications of the words we use and also her story i'm so excited to share more about her story and just how much she touches so many people with her work as well and so when we think about words words create our worlds yes they do and the world you live in you think about that comes from the words that you tell yourself and so about Janet, you know, Janet is an associate professor of communication at NASA Community College. She's received a PhD in communication from Penn State University. She's an author of a number of articles and three books, really impacting so many different industries. And her latest book, you must get a copy, it is called The Doctor Is Still Knows Best How Medical Culture is Still Marked by Paternalism. And her other great books as well. What do the doctors say? How do doctors create a world through their words? And also her third book. And this is about, you know, the work that we speak about as well, about Victor E. Frankel. It's something that she heavily teaches on. It's called Communicating with Integrity. And so with that great, you know, introduction about her, welcome to the show, Janet. I'm so excited to have you with us today.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Laura. It's so good to see you and so good to be with you. Thanks for the invite. Uh, no, we are so grateful to have you,
0: <laughs> especially with this a lot fun. of your stuff. Especially, you know, we've been speaking a lot and we know each other so well. Um, and when we speak about these topics, we know it's about it's more than us. It's about what can we give to the listeners. And so Now, about language and communication, you are such an expert in this field, Janet, and when you think about that, your experience about teaching and also how you see it in our life, how do you see the importance of the role in our own lives and in in our work as
1: well? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great question to start with, Laura, is um, communication is really so fundamental to who we are as human beings. And I think that we don't have such a great understanding about what it is. And so much of my work, I always say to my students in my teaching, for instance, I say, just stay and start with the word. So if you take the word communication and look at the word, it means one together, right? So unication one, come together. So communication is what we do of co-creation together you and I, when we talk with each other, it's really where you and I meet, right? And you and I, how we navigate and negotiate this space. And I think, I think communication is incredible. I think it is fundamental. I think it's powerful. And so that I, the way in which I see communication, it's not a skill. It's not something I manipulate. It's not something I use. It's fundamental to who we are as human beings. And it allows me and you, which what you and I have been doing over these weeks of working together, right, is co-creating a world together. And Mm. you bring a little bit and I bring a little bit. And together, we create something that never existed before. I
0: truly love that definition and when you think about co-creating and also the relationships that you can make through communication and so we also you know we've also been speaking about how we can touch our words you know towards other people and and so communication with integrity I'd love for you to talk more about that communication with integrity.
1: Yeah so um that Book is the creation of a book that I made for my students to navigate teaching Frankel to a class, but teaching them communication. So I'm trying to take all the words and all the concepts and everything that they're learning in in Frankel, and I'm applying them into the realm of communication and what I'm trying to teach. But again, that word, so again, the words, right? Communication. And then the next word is integrity. And so integrity means when all the parts fit together, right? So that when I speak to you, I come across and you come across to me as a person of integrity, meaning that I embody my words, meaning that you can trust me, meaning that I'm trying to be as authentic as I possibly can in a moment. I don't speak to you one way and then turn around and then speak to another person in a way that completely contradicts that. But this is the thing about humans is that we all have all these different selves that we have, right? So that there's a self of me at home, there's a self of me in the classroom, there's a self of me with my friends. We have all of these selves. But the point is, all of those selves have to be on good terms with one another. Mm -hmm. They can't be so disparate that they don't have anything to do with one another because then that's not a person with integrity and that's why the book is called communicating with integrity where you pull all of these sides to yourself of yourself together um and see and i think with regard to the words and just speaking the words and embodying the words and and offering the words right um I, off, I oftentimes speak like this and I've written about this. I think communication is holy.
0: Mm, definitely is. And you think when you say communication with integrity, as soon as I saw those three words together, when you say with integrity, you realize you actually have a choice with how you communicate. All right. So, when you think about some of the choices that people make with their words, and you also speak about, you're always interested in what words are doing. So, you know, when you think about what words are doing, how do you see that evolve in day to day life when people, when you see words in action?
1: Yeah, I, I think that we don't understand that. And so much of what you just said right now, words are doing. So, what we do instead, I think, think is that we speak about and i'm responding to this on social media because right now is the background is you know my country is falling apart and i see posts on social media and i'm trying to respond to them one at a time and some people are saying enough with words we've had enough of words we need action now Mm -hmm. and you know, I'm, I, I have tried to respond and say, I really humbly ask that you stop saying that because there is no such thing as words and action. Words are a form of action. Just as you said, words are doing something. They're always doing something, but we don't frequently think about what the words are doing. What are, and it's sometimes it's not so easy to discern what the words are doing, right? Mm. So if I give you an example is, and it's one that I talk about a lot, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will mm. never hurt me, right? We
2: what are not those true. words?
1: Well, it's not true. Let's do good. <laughs> Take that off the table. It's, it's not true, right? But what are those words doing? When you say that, mostly it's well-intentioned. You know, it's usually a kid where he's, you know, complaining that somebody said something that was hurtful to him. It's denying the existence of the hurt. That's one. It's not saying, he said Mm -hmm. what to you? Mm -hmm. Which would be like the better response, I think, is some outrage on the part of the kid. If we just look at that for a moment, politically, people in my country right now, they're outraged and i think it would be really helpful if they got more messages of i get the outrage i understand why you're outraged Mm -hmm. instead of ignoring the outrage dismissing the outrage all of what's happening right
0: really acknowledging it but how what's the best way to think that can be done Mm -hmm. acknowledge
1: listening Mm -hmm. listening right um that's all you have to do sometimes it's so mm-hmm. simple. It's so transparent. It's Just right. to tell me your story. This is, again, I said communication is about encountering me and you. I'm not you. I mm-hmm. need to listen to you. And that mm-hmm. word means to obey from below. Mm-hmm. Isn't that incredible? Absolutely. I don't when know your story. Etymology
0: of words. Mm-hmm. I
1: that don't is- know your story. So i got to listen to you and learn who you are. Right, mm-hmm. and you do the same to me. That's the reciprocality. But when I go, said before about the sticks and stones, what are the words doing? You, when you say that to a kid, you're telling the kid. And I think we just keep doing this generation. Oh, right, 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 right. generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, words are nothing. Words are nothing. He didn't punch you in the face, did he? Mm-hmm. And then you and also allow
0: permission for the other people to, to say what they want because of that. It's like a, a belief that sh- that shouldn't be planted for kids because they could grow up thinking, yes, well, I can say whatever I want, but actually it's not true.
1: But that's the whole point also, Laura, and that's you got it exactly right. It's endorsing the status quo. Nothing will change. Because that kid will then use hurtful words towards the other kid Mm. because words are nothing. But I'm not kidding. We continually, continually downplay words. We say words in opposition to action, sticks and stones stuff. We don't really think about what am I doing when I say this? So that's you know, that's one example, and there's you know a lot of different examples of Mm. um Words are powerful, I choose my words, and then I choose how I interpret your words. So everything is all my own choice.
0: And it's also with a tone and the intention as well when you
1: use your words. Well, and that's that's the whole other aspect about the complicated holistic nature of communication, isn't it, right? Mm -hmm. Communication happens within a context. And so that you can't rip communication out of its context, you have to know what gave birth to the words and who spoke them, to whom, in what situation, using what language, what body language, what tone That's of really, voice? It's so, so complicated.
0: So Jenna, uh, yeah,
1: so when you think about
0: what about the positive side, tell us about some positive experiences you've had uh, whether you know you've received it or you've given as well, with the power of positive words, how that has had an effect on other people as well.
1: Ever the eternal
0: optimist,
1: huh, Laura? <laughs> you know um, me. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's funny, but um, it's, it's such a, a good point, right, of to dwell on the positive. And they're always, I always say with regard to the positive and the negative, they're always both present. And just, it's a matter of what we choose to focus on, right? Mm. But they're both, because life is bittersweet. It's it's the positive and the negative, always present. But I, sh- I shared this story with you before I'll share it here, is that um, I met a teacher when I was 19 years old. And I was never a good student when I was a kid. And I wasn't particularly interested in school. I never saw myself as smart Um I didn't do anything. Where where did that
0: root come from when you didn't think
1: you were smart?
0: Because we know that's not true.
1: Um, I, I my first my first I went to parochial school and I always really rebelled against school. So I became the class clown. I was frequently in trouble. Um, I I think the it was too oppressive for me. It was, it was, and it was, it was incredibly impressive. And I think I was just trying to survive within that system. So I kind of checked out of school. Um, So I had this really bad experience. And then I said, you know, I always say I went to college and college saved my life because if I imagine if I would have ended school on that note, that would have been horrible. And, and, my whole life would have taken a particular direction that I'm grateful every day that it did not take. Um, I am such a believer in education, and that's why I teach. I think education can change the world. Um, But So I met this teacher by the name of Larry Rosenfield, who was a professor of communication, who was um, outlandish. And he would make somebody cry in class every single day. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I said to myself, whatever he's teaching, I'm taking. And I think I took seven classes with him. But he, he told me, and then we became friends and we've, we worked together, he, yeah he's deceased now. But he said to me, um, you're a thinker. Those words saved my life. Mm-hmm. And I became the thinker that he saw in me. And ah, I know boy, it happened. Yes. I know it happened when I was nineteen years old. And so mm-hmm. now that kid that I'm describing, I don't even recognize that kid. i don't I don't connect with that kid at all because I became something else.. Mm-hmm. It's very
0: valuable to know that one person can make that huge difference in your life by the words that they use and they see that something special in you that maybe you would have thought but having someone else tell you. And, you know, through our conversations, Janet, I mean, you're so intelligent, you are so open, you are so caring, and I love how you just tell it like it is, you know. And when you get into your work, you are so deep and you're so determined. determined. And that's something I truly, truly love about you. And also when we think you. about, you know, going forward with education, and I know it's something you are so passionate about and we're both passionate about it. How do you think the system, the things that they can improve, especially now we're we're seeing your teaching online, how mm-hmm. do you see the future of education in the future and what actually works, you know, where people don't feel like they need to fit in, but having something is very personal to
1: us. Mm-hmm. Well, The response that I would have um, to that question, Laura, is directly connected to our work, you and I together, is meaning. Mm -hmm. It's got to be meaning. First of all, we only remember something that we attach meaning to. So if you go through school and you're not attaching meaning to what it is you're learning, it's all going to be gone immediately. And so that what are you going through school for? It's not part of your internal life because you've never been invited, or you, you know, you don't know the the discipline of attach meaning to what it is that you're learning. And sometimes I think for students is that I mean, I don't teach kids, I teach college students. I can't, I can't imagine how difficult it is to teach kids. I think it's really, really that's much harder than teaching college. I think college is much easier in comparison. Um, I don't think think? teaching, um, because I, well, I think students have sometimes already screwed up. I think they've already blown it. I think they have some experience under their belts. Um, They're older, they, uh, they're they're at that really wonderful age of 19 where they're starting to become a fully fledged adult. Mm-hmm. I think they're very receptive in a way that if like, if you're teaching kids in middle middle school, there's so much competition for a kid's headspace. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you're in that age bracket, this your whole the most important thing is your social life and whether or not you're accepted and Whose table are you sitting at? And all of those things, which, and I think they're they're really struggling to find their place in the world. But by 19, some of that has settled down and there's a little bit more of a calmness where I think you can really reach students in a way that to me is just much easier. I don't know because I've never taught kids, but there's the meaning aspect. And then here's the the... The constraints that people teach within again, because I don't teach kids, I don't work under those constraints. Teaching to the test, mm-hmm. which is going to destroy meaning. Um, and I always have said this is that I think you have to be a really smart, smart teacher. You prepare kids to do well at the on the tests because you have to, but you never teach to the test. Because mm-hmm. if you teach to the test, you kill the education. And, and not I, I only think that,
0: you, you talk, you spoke about the meaning, you no know, real exactly. the joy, the joyful learning. And I think that's something that you could forget when you're just focused on the test. But when you focus on the learning and what you're going to get out of it and how you're going to benefit, and also just the practical side as well, I think is key. How can you use it outside of the classroom? How how can you apply it in everyday life?
1: Well, the whole thing about the application piece is that um, I tell students to to sort of slow down with that because sometimes they come in, believe it or not, they think that communication is not applicable. Well, we communicate every day. Because they don't yet understand, right? They don't understand. And I always tell them, just stop with the pressure to apply something just learn something and then the application might come. Stop looking to do the application because that's gonna destroy the learning. Laura, I get so many students and I talk to them all the time about like, okay, what's the definition of this word? They can't articulate what the definition of the word is. And I think the reason why they can't, it's not because they're stupid. They're not stupid mm. kids mm. at all. It's because they, they learn the definition for the test. And once mm. the test was over, it just completely it's gone. forgot it. Mm. It's gone. And sound like Frankel? Once you aim at something, you lose it, right? Mm. Frankel tells us that. Stop aiming for it. Just engage for engagement's sake. Let it go where it's going. So here's what I think. Like vocabulary words and things that kids have to learn. Learn this for your life. Don't learn this for the test. And if you learn it for your life, you'll do well on the test.
0: What a great perspective. You'll learn for your life, not for the test. And I think just in areas of life, right? And in different areas of life, you can focus on that one thing. We spoke about, you know, what Frank says as well. Um, But really it is also through the journey that we can enjoy and the people along the journey as well. And so, you know, you've got, amazing experiences, Janet, with personal experience as well, where you have seen communication with with education, um, but what about, you're also passionate about this communication in the medical setting as well?
1: Yeah. Um, I've written two books, as you, you mentioned before, Laura, and they're just the, the chronicle of my experiences of navigating a healthcare system with a child with disabilities. And um, I mean, I was brought into the medical world through IVF, through in vitro fertilization, and that was my, my entry point. And that was not good. That was not a good experience because of the communication from the doctors. But if I went on and then I conceived twins, um, twin boys who are now 17 years old. Um, if if it was just that one terrible experience with the IVF doctors, I would have forgotten about it. Mm. But that's not what happened. I went on to have a child who is pretty involved in terms of his disability. And that was, I don't know why he has disability, but now I know that the... Um, Choice on my part that I was, um, I can't say talked into. I was, that was the world that was created for me. I was influenced. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was influenced. I was influenced to have multiple kids. That was a really dangerous undertaking. And nobody talked for doctors, nobody talked to me about the dangers of carrying multiples. Mm -hmm. And now, When I look back on that, I think um, that was really foolish on my part. And I also say I am responsible for his disability. And that doesn't mean that I beat myself up because I don't and I don't blame myself. However, I went into this and I'm saying me because it was my body and it was my choice And so I had a doctor, for instance, who said, we had a doctor who said, at least uh, transfer two fertilized eggs back. Hopefully you have a boy and a girl, instant family. Mm -hmm. And I thought, great, that sounds perfect to me. One pregnancy, two kids, Mm -hmm. I'm done. That's great. Now I think back on that and I think that was horrific that he spoke to me like that. That's not a way that you create life. And now I understand
0: it. What about in those instances now, for example, how would you respond to a doctor or a person who would say something like that, understanding that um, it is probably not right for
1: your situation? Mm -hmm. Well, the other aspect of this is that doctors have known about the high disability rate in multiples for a a while now this is not anything new so they withheld that information from me that's the foundation of my whole experiences with doctors is that there was not full disclosure so there's that so then we
0: also learn janet that communication is also when you don't talk when you don't speak up when you don't say words because you're communicating something that should have been
1: said in a silent way correct correct and so the whole and sometimes I just had this conversation with a person in my life this week is he put out a post and I said um I really ask you to engage with and think about that post because sometimes the most important part about the message is what's left out is what I'm not being told. And so I tell my students all the time, when somebody tells you something, you have to ask yourself, OK, what am I not being told? So from my experience with doctors, sometimes now in a medical scenario, I'll ask a physician, what question am I not asking that I should be? What am I not being told? Um, and this is here's again all of these things are really complicated you don't know i didn't know what questions to ask without At doing homework mm-hmm. yeah you have to i mean i have now now i now i do my homework but back then i was not doing my homework i trusted that the doctor would tell me what i needed to know
0: what and was i you found about out telling you
1: though my gut was was completely fine with that instance because because i i loved the idea mm -hmm. and i trusted him Mm -hmm. i mean there are there have been other experiences with doctors where i immediately knew "Mm -mm, mm -mm, not good guts telling me but i didn't get out i stayed which Mm -hmm. that's kind of horrifying to me too but um Communication is so incredibly complicated. And I was saying before is that um, I've had a doctor give a diagnosis for my son. And um, but does it have said to be it's, so
0: complicated, it, Janet?
1: Yeah, I think communication is extremely complicated. I do. I really do think it is complicated. There's so many aspects to it. There <laughs> are. are. Maybe we should use my, another word instead of complicated. I don't like the word complicated. <laughs> Because we're talking about okay. words. Okay, but Laura, look. Yes. Complicated <laughs> means means many folds. Mm. Many folds. Complicated. So when I say that
0: word, you know what it is. That's another thing is what. Well. So when we hear the word complicated, it it feels hard. It's difficult, and so this is why when you understand the meaning in our society, in our culture, versus the actual roots of the meaning, like what, what does that actual actually mean
1: and if the other thing is is that your um connotation of complicated is not my connotation of complicated so there's the aspect of that communication right so when i say complicated i say great i like things that are complicated it means that it has nuance maybe the word you know what i like i like challenge
0: challenging challenging (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not, not in that not in that sentence, but in in the way that we can think about yeah I think when people know the roots of the words and they know what it means and that really changes the framing of, of what it does I say.
1: Hmm. It does. So let me try this for you okay with the okay. word complicated <laughs> okay. and let's see if this helps. If it doesn't just throw it out. okay <laughs> but um, complicated means many folds. So when I when I say the word complicated, I in my mind think of a heavy pair of drapes that have many so panels, many different layers. Mm. Exactly, that's what I see in my mind when I say that word. But you see different things when you. And I think you, if you uh, if he explained
0: it in that sense, I totally would understand it. But when you say. Communication is complicated. I think the first thing that comes to mind is it's hard, it's difficult, and it's you know it's also what society has placed on the meaning of the words as well. So yeah, yeah. See,
1: when I say complicated, I mean that there are so many aspects to it, and just like I said before, of there's me, there's you, there's the context, there's the there's the intention there's mm. the intonation, there's the meaning, all of that, right? So mm. there's so many aspects to it. But to me, that makes it all the more beautiful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I had someone ask me this week, she wanted me to be part of a questionnaire about optimism in education. And she asked me what optimism means to me. And, you know, through our discussions, Janet, it, it makes me think even more about the etymology of words and what it means and so I, I provided this answer to her and what she did she just showed it on social media and people loved what it meant because it went down to the actual roots and I think that's something valuable that you always provide Jenna is you show those different layers you know what it actually means and behind the context of it too and so um, I was saying that you have to discover the roots of the word. So when you think about optimism, its origin comes from Latin and it means best thing. And this is certainly true. So when you look at, you know, something or you have a perspective, it's, it's the best thing and you can think about how you can transform your situation, for example, into something meaningful. And this even means in the face of adversity, you can always find that best thing in that moment.
1: So I have a slightly different understanding of the word optimism, but I'm sure they're uh, analogous, is that I understood optimism comes from ops, which is the god of abundance. Mm. Same kind of thing is that is to the capacity to see abundance, the capacity to see what's best is a choice Um, and to see abundance instead of scarcity is that life is abundant. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of things that we can see here, right? Or we could see life as scarce. Mm. That you know, look at look at love. We could say love is abundant or love is is scarce. So, and I I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, Laura, is that um, I've built a theory of what I teach, and it's called Logos Therapy
0: mm. from yeah, Frankl's Logotherapy.
1: Right. So logos means the word and everything behind the word in this complicated sense. Right. Not just Mm -hmm. the word, but everything behind the word. Mm -hmm. And then therapy means to attend. Therapia in Greek means to attend. So what I teach is attending to the word. And the first place is the etymology. Right. Mm -hmm. What's the what is Now, the word etymology means the word itself, the truth of the word. It's got logos at the end, Mm -hmm. that word etymology. It means the truth of the word. So you go back to its origins to figure out what's the truth of the word and then see if that can anchor you in some place. And I think it always does. It really always changes our relationships with Mm -hmm. words, right? Because also etymologies are stories. It's the story of the word. And they're profound in terms of these stories. So that's the first place. And then the second part is, I start to listen to the word itself so that I start to understand that words actually do mean something. They come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. I can't just use any old word I want to. And then I start, the second thing is, I start to listen to my words. What are the words I'm speaking? What do they mean to me? Like we just had this whole conversation about um complicated right and so that there was a little bit of a clash
0: in and you need to you understand the
1: discussion <laughs> and that's and that's exactly right and that's but how beautiful was that that you stopped me and you said you know that i don't know about that word and then if i have an opportunity opportunity and even,
0: even like when you said clash like that doesn't even appear. There's some words that I choose not to have in my vocabulary because something yeah. that I always keep in front of my mind is when I have conversations with people, My number one of my number one priorities is to be in a spirit of harmony with them because when you have a spirit yeah. of harmony, you can communicate well, you can hear each other as well. And so even with some words, I, I make sure it doesn't form part of my cap vocabulary and um it's interesting how we speak about words it's the definitions how we use it the meaning in society as well
1: yeah yeah and I think when I when I um speak to other people I trust maybe it's a false trust but I I trust that we will be in harmony mm. I I Having trust right intentions <laughs> yeah, the intention. I trust it. I don't. I don't question it. So the so the same thing, right? Is you listen to the etymology, you listen to the self, and then you listen to the other,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. and you
1: you you really try. Like when people speak to you, you start to really attend to their words because I think people are constantly telling you who they are, constantly. Um, and I think we get access to all of that when you start to really pay attention to the words.
0: Mm,
1: absolutely. Um, right?
0: And, and another so important that, I mean, aspect, that, Janet, uh, another important aspect I thought about as well was self-confidence, right? Through our words, we can also continue to build our self-confidence, what we say about ourselves, the words that we say in our mind. Yeah.
1: You know, of um, sometimes my students connected to that idea of self-confidence, right? Of my students frequently say about trust, they'll say, I don't trust anybody. And, and, I, and I always say, what that means is you don't trust you. You don't trust you. Because if you have some confidence in your own capacity to discern people's intentions, You will know who you can trust and who you can't trust. And the other thing about that trust statement is, it's not true. So I talk to students and I say, did you drive here today? Because if you drove here today, you had to trust the other drivers on the road. Did you take public transportation? You know the series of trusts you have to take to get on a bus or to get onto a train. You have Mm -hmm. kids, did you drop them off at school? I said, you've made several motions of trust before you even came to school. So don't tell me you don't trust. Mm. And the thing is, you got to trust you. And then you can trust other people. So
0: how do you think with the students, for example, or for some of the listeners who are thinking about, oh, I never thought about it in that sense. What are ways you think that people can trust themselves more?
1: Um here I think is that you learn through experience and when you have misplaced your trust, right? When, you, when you've when given your trust to somebody else, that, that's a judgment call on your part. And the person isn't worthy of your trust, try to become more discerning. See, so what I think sometimes what pe- I see people do is that, they give their trust to somebody who is not worthy of their trust, and then instead of learning about themselves, they say, "Oh, you can't trust anybody." Mm-hmm. That's not the that's not the thing to learn. The learn the learning is you to be a more discerning person about who you can trust. Um, Cicero, the Roman statesman, rhetorician, really interesting person. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, "Try out your friends first, and then choose to be loyal. Don't choose to be loyal and then try them out. Test people a little bit. Like, don't automatically trust, right? You, you. I, when I think about this, I think of one scenario. It's really interesting. Is, I think of one scenario, and the scenario was um, my son was with." This lovely woman in education, she was his aide, which I think is a terrible word because they're much more than an aide in a classroom. Mm. She's his person, is what she is, right? With a name and with a name and (laughs) an aide. It just is not. It's not a good word at all. But she wore hearing aids. This woman and I needed to make sure. Because she's going to be with my son. My son is nonverbal, right? So my son will make sounds of distress or or whatever. Um, I purposefully stood behind her and spoke to see if she would hear me. And when she heard me, I knew I can trust her to take care of my son. And this woman turned out to be an amazing, amazing person with my son, so much so that, They, she had to leave that position and they were bringing somebody else to work with my son. And she called me up and she said, I mean, I just think this person, I think the world of her. She called me up and she said, you have to approve this person before I start to train him. And I've told the school district that the mom has to approve my replacement first. And if she doesn't, I don't train anybody. You talk about loyalty, loyalty Mm -hmm. to me over loyalty to our job, loyalty to our boss. You talk about a person of integrity. Amazing.
0: Amazing. What a great demonstration as well. And so when you think about your son, Janet, he's such a loving person. I mean, they both are. But uh, what has your son taught you about you as well?
1: He's taught me a lot. Um, he's, he, 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 um, I've been thinking a lot about this now, Laura, with the pandemic mm-hmm. is one thing that I could speak. And there are really many, this has to be another whole separate pro- program. You have to have me back <laughs> <Okay>. off. Um, <laughs> is um, not to expect anything not to think I'm um, do anything because we're not guaranteed anything in life and we get what we get and to start to see the beauty in what we've been given, but not to think I'm um, do something. And I think that, or even that um, all of this, this life that I have in my head as I expect things to pan out for me he's taught me not to do that. And I see, for instance, now he's now 17 years old and it's not like I'm completely done doing that. It's, I still do that somewhat, but I don't do it so often. So now I hear, for instance, people are really struggling with the pandemic because things aren't as they expected them to be, you know? So, mm-hmm. and I get it because um, they're they are, they feel cheated. Like now we're coming upon graduation and I hear moms and saying, my kid is being cheated of the prom and of the graduation and of the ceremony. And, and I get it. I just feel like my son taught me to let all of that go a long time Mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. Because if I see that I'm cheated, that's not great. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing nothing. I'm not, I'm not here to expect anything from life. Mm. Sounds familiar, right? Yeah. And I'm not the here to entitlement expect. entitlement that we've spoken about as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is That's not the way, that's not the correct way to live, as Frankl mm. tells us in, in the book. It's not the correct way to live. He taught me that when he arrived. Mm. So, so I've had, had 17 mm. years to work on this, um so you know accept how things are choose to make the best of things try to opt for love um see the beauty in him i mean he's he really has taught me a lot of things he's he's extraordinary
0: and we can see through all the stories that you share as well and the compassion that you have and even with your work you see the power of words in terms of how you speak about him, what he's taught you through you know the whole seventeen years as well and what you can share. You see the work that you've had with your books. So another one when we think about giving, it's something we've also spoken about, giving versus getting, Janet. With giving and when you think about words, what are things that come to your mind on how people can give through their words?
1: I think sometimes it's going to sound so basic and so simple, right? Kindness, Mm. kindness, to give a kind word. Um, I think there's so much in the culture where we don't really think to do that or um, it's not even sometimes socially acceptable, but to, to offer a kind word also, I think just, Thank you. I'm like I'm very very big on thank you, making sure that I say thank you for everything that I receive from people. So it's just so basic. Like for instance, there was an um, an award ceremony with my other son's school,
2: mm-hmm. and they
1: did it virtually. I thought it was extremely well done. I loved watching the kids receive the awards. It was an hour long program. Immediately after the program, I wrote to the principal and I said, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. That was very good for us, for us to have that as parents to acknowledge our children.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm not going to just take that. I'm going to make sure that I show my appreciation for having received that. Mm,
0: that's also important as well to to show our appreciation to show that we're grateful and when we spoke about the word optimistic before we spoke about you know in terms of abundance having that abundance mindset seeing the best in everything as well and that's a great demonstration which you just showed you know you you didn't think otherwise what could have happened if in this instance or that instance but you thought you know what that was amazing and you wrote the actual letter and it's so incredible as well when you know we've heard about your journey we've also spoken a bit about frankel but also stoicism
1: mm-hmm.
0: now stoicism the the words that uh, the philosophers use and i just love hearing it because you'll see one phrase of what Seneca will say or you know epictetus and you straight away can apply it in your life and it really makes you think how is you know through your work how is the role of stoicism play that you've seen with the words that you use and also just your behavior because you become a lot more conscious as well with your
1: behaviors. Mm -hmm. Well, it's always a work in progress, right? Mm -hmm. Is that I, I forget, I forget and I have to be reminded but that's what these ancient people do for us is that they remind us how to live. That's what I was just tapping into before when I said, when Frankl said, this is the way to live what these ancient people have done is that they, they've given us a blueprint for what is the virtuous way to live one's life, right? And so that, um, I always say, for instance, the reason why I teach Frankel, who we, you, you and I did a whole program on how Frankel was a stoic. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell my students, I teach this class because I constantly need to remind me of how to live. Mm. And so as I'm speaking to them, I'm speaking to me and Mm. I'm saying, are you doing that? Are you doing that? And sometimes I'll say, and I'll catch myself and I'll tell my students, I don't do that. What the hell am I talking about? I don't do that. But that's what it means to be human though, right? Is that um, these ancient people had this wisdom that they left us and you talk about that, right? I am so grateful for these people. Mm. And I've always studied philosophy. I've always been interested in philosophy. I think that it is a travesty that most students do not study. My students do not study philosophy because of that use point of view, again, Mm -hmm. is that they're like, what are you gonna do with philosophy? What use does that have so that it
0: gets thrown aside. But I Philosophy, think that's where we have to be so open-minded because the opportunities that we have today, right, Janet? You could write a book. You could share videos online. You could do classes. There's so many different ways that people need to be very open about finding out who you are and what you're passionate about. Just like when you found out, this is you know you're
1: a great thinker, and it led you on your yeah. path as well. Yeah. Um, But the the whole thing, I think, you know, sometimes students, like one student this semester said, um, and this happens sometimes, like, I'm going to start studying philosophy. I'm going to start studying Latin because he's in the class. I'm going to start studying Greek because he's in the class. Um, Now, um, granted, I'm sure, you know, maybe his parents aren't very happy when they hear that, um, but something has been stirred in him which is developing him and developing his mind and his intellect and his foundation and his interior landscape that we've talked about so that you have something in your life Mm. that feeds you throughout your life. And I was going to say the word philosophy means lover of wisdom, Mm. philosophia, lover or friend of wisdom. I can't think of a better thing to study, can you? Mm, I love I it. Think it I truly love
0: it. Because, <laughs> I, you know, I even wrote a quote as well. I said, knowledge is temporary, but wisdom lasts forever. And that just resonated with so many people. And it truly does. I mean, you see the history behind it. And so, you know, with Victor E. Frankel, we've been doing amazing work uh, about Man's Search for Meaning, his book, which has, you know, it's been sold more than 15 million copies the last time I saw And when you think about Frankl's story, it's a great reminder for us today. When I think about suffering, I always can think about meaning, like, what can I learn from this? What can I give from this? How can I transform the situation? And so, you know, through Frankl's story, and for those who haven't heard of his story, I'm just going to quickly give a brief one. He was a Holocaust survivor. He survived through... concentration camps over three years the thing is he always knew who he was you know even at three he decided to become a psychiatrist and as he walked into the holocaust even he even had his manuscript so he had a whole history a strong foundation with his work with psychology and he decided you know he always knew who he was he walked in with his manuscript and it was confiscated so you think he was carrying his work along with him but it was gone. And a lot of us, you know, we think in the circumstances we face in the world today, sometimes we can have things that are just taken away from us. And so that's what happened. But he really knew, um, you know, some great lessons that he shares with us is through suffering, we can find meaning, you know, through our work, we can find meaning and through love, we can find meaning. And his story, there's so many different elements of words that he uses, what he shares as well. You think everything was taken away from him. His family, his mother, and his father who passed away, his sister, his wife who was pregnant with his baby. You think, wow. And when you think taken away, even his clothes, his hair, his name, everything was taken away. Um, but you know, we learned from him as well that there was one thing they couldn't take away was the freedom in terms of how he responded. And so Janet, you know, you've had so much, you know, deep, deep experience with sharing with your students and with the work that you do as well with Frankel. What are some of the thoughts that you come to that come to mind sometimes on a daily basis about his story and how it has impacted your life?
1: Yeah, you know, I've told you, Laura, that i I've been teaching this book for a long time and my life has been in a different place when I've taught this book. So I've been teaching it for 25 years now. My kids are 17. So I have taught this book before I had kids and it was a very different book. Mm. It meant something very different for me before I had kids. And, And then I went on to have kids and then I went on to have kids, a child, one of whom has a disability who has multiple disabilities. So um, the book has become so much more rich for me in my life and it is so much deeper for me now because of my son and so that I can, um, I can more understand, I can understand better I can't fully understand where he was. I I could never understand that, but um, I have a taste of the suffering now mm-hmm. that I never had before. And so, and this, and I always say this all the time, is that there is nothing like suffering to get your attention. The this, this suffering will not be ignored. It, it just, you know, he, it consumes a person, the suffering. so. You know, it's the fact that my child had um, disability, and then the whole medical saga. The two books were about the suffering made worse by the treatment that I and he endured with in the hands of, of doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that Frankel, I, I try to always think that you know Frankel's on my shoulder because what what you and I have talked about is that. He did not ever let his experience make him bitter, make him resentful, make him revengeful. He didn't go, it seems, to those places because, um, and that, because it. The thing is, when you're in a situation and you're suffering, and you know that somebody is causing you to suffer, it's really hard it's really hard to, to transcend that. Um, you know, and you and I, I think we're gonna talk about this topic at a, another time, but I, I really like the writer, George Orwell. Mm-hmm. And what he said about revenge is that he said, revenge is child's play. And mm-hmm. the reason why you seek revenge is because you have no power. And once you have a sense of power, the revenge evaporates.
0: Mm, that's truly powerful. And even when you think about Frankl, he said that he focuses on reconciliation and not on revenge. You know, and we see that because, throughout his life.
1: And because, as you said before, because why? Because he knows who he is. Mm. Because he's grounded within himself. He is a person of integrity. He has all of that. He doesn't he's not powerless. And that's that's why he doesn't need to lash out. That's why the people that you and I have talked about, they have this optimism, this joy in them when they have endured the worst treatment possible. Mm -hmm. They don't internalize it. And, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have had students like that. I have had students on par with Frankel because they have suffered horribly, but they are bubbly and they are joyful.
0: And they choose to do
1: that. That blows me away. It blows me away Mm -hmm. because I know how hard that is. Um, But I also know that that's a choice for life. That's the choice to move on. Don't become that. Mm. I had one student who was was tortured by her family. Absolutely tortured by her family. And she had a twinkle in her eye, a joyful spirit. Um, She was lovely. She Mm. didn't carry any of that trauma with her.
0: What a great example! And you think, even Janet, the most successful people in the world, they would have encountered when you you know when you read their story some of those sufferings, but it actually made them stronger, and they were able to transform the situation as well.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the thing that just um, it really stops me in my tracks because I know the work that has to go on to have that. Uh, That doesn't just happen. You can't just do that. You have to have really worked to get to that place where now you're free.
0: And I know you have, Janet, (laughs) because about your book as well. So the doctor who still knows best, make sure you get a copy how medical culture is still marked by paternalism. And so you think even through your situation, you were able to write a book and think about, okay, how can I help the medical community? How can I help other parents going through this? So you can share that story with them, you know, through through all of your whole experience, through the people that you meet. I think that's truly really incredible that you can transform your situations and help other people.
1: You know, the the uh, in Frankel's book, Laura, he he borrows from the writer Dostoevsky, who said, "The worst thing in life is not to be worthy of my suffering." Mm -hmm. Right. So the worst thing in life is to have suffered and not to do anything with it. The worst thing in life is not is when we don't create meaning from the suffering. Mm -hmm. I could never have experienced what I experienced within the medical community and done nothing with it. It would have eaten me alive. Mm -hmm. It would have been terrible for me. That's the reason for the books. And now I say always I publicly announce this. I'm done. There's not going to be a third book. I don't want to write another book on doctors. I'm done. Mm. Um, I'll move on. I'll write other books. But for now, with that topic, I'm done. And yes, I have been trying. I try to go back to medical schools and talk with medical schools about how they teach medical students. And that's still a work in progress. And I wanted very much to write for other parents who are maybe going through the same thing I went through, because it's really tough. Mm.
0: And that's where persistence comes in as well. You know, being very persistent with your definite purpose, where you know that there's something burning inside of you and you have to share it. You've done all the work and you find that meaning through your suffering. And so we just want to thank you so much, Janet, for joining us today. You've been such thank a joy you. to have.
1: Oh, my gosh, Laura, this was so much fun. I know. And I know it's...
0: we could go on forever.
1: Oh, my gosh. Like we kidding? always do. We've done three hours. like three we, we hours do in again, We do this again tomorrow, right, Laura? Yeah, yeah like we always
0: do. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so, so amazing, Janet, and to our listeners as well. They've got a great new podcast coming out. It is called Decide Your Meaning and it is about Frankel. So Victor E. Frankel and his book Man Search for Meaning. There is so many insights there that you can apply in your life, really makes you think. And as you know, the title just gives away man search for meaning. You know, there's so many areas we can find meaning and through our experiences, and Frankel's story certainly shares that as well. So some final words from you, Janet.
1: So please tune in when we launch this podcast and uh, we're giving you the heads up now. So grab the copy of the book so that you can zip yourself into his story. And then when you listen to us to circle back to all the things that you read within the book, that would be great. Mm -hmm. Um, So this has been so much fun, Laura. And we will continue on doing our, our podcast.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Because one, we truly believe in it. We know it's going to make an impact with what we are sharing. And, you know, we have this incredible, you know, how you spoke about, we have this incredible collaboration where you spoke about co creating. And that's what we're doing with our words. And that's something that we also have to think about. With such a great perspective that Janet provided is it's another way of thinking when you're speaking with someone, what are you creating? we were born to create and we can also create with our words so thank you so much and i'm so grateful for you you're such a special person and i'm so glad that you are in my life so
1: (laughs) and me as well laura i mean this is this has been so much fun for me to do this and especially in the context of where we are right now and so that you and I have been working very intensely with one another and we've been getting to know one another through our work together. And for me, I don't know about for you, but for me, the focus on the work has made it really possible to get through this very difficult time that we've experienced Um, because I knew that I could go to some place that was good and wholesome and collectively collaborating and creative. It's this little place that we have created and at this moment in time I am so grateful for it.
0: Mm. and it's so meaningful I know we spoke about meaning but when you have meaning with your work and you also think about others and even Frank talks about what's our ultimate purpose we all have a mission and a task in life and so when you find that special gift that you have and so we've you know brought both of our gifts together to be able to deliver this amazing information to the world it just means so much and we know it's not just about us it's about others how we can make an impact uh, you know through our experience and Janet has you Know, 25 years of experience on the book as well, and to be able to bring all of this to light to all of our listeners, we are so grateful and we're very, very excited. So thank you again, Janet. Thank
2: you. Thank you, Laura. A pleasure as always. What you think about, you bring about, but just make sure you also speak it out. Don't allow your silence to kill your dreams. Make it happen and know the universe is on your side especially when you know exactly what it is you want. If you put your focus energy and positive thoughts on what you desire, you'd see the abundant opportunities come your way. Whatever it is, if you have that burning desire, it's as if it was meant to be. You feel it in your heart and it moves you to action. The universe gives you what your heart desires. Speak your dreams, Speak it out and do not silence your dreams. Keep your voice and visions alive. For pre-orders of my book, Your Silence is Killing Your Dreams, register on my website www.laurairibero.com and I'm sure to keep you updated on the release.